Standing for the reading of God's word, today's scripture passage comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, all the way to chapter 14, verse 1. Let's read aloud together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gift of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but if not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove the mountains, but if not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burnt, but if not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. This is God's word. Please be seated. Uh, It's good to be back. I was in Peru for about a week. I left on Monday and came back yesterday, late in the afternoon. Thank you for all of you who prayed for me and Deacon William of the Korean ministry, um, and uh, we had 20 people in that trip with Compassion Canada, and I would summarize it in four adjectives, uh, eye-opening, heartbreaking, mission-inspiring, partnership-affirming, and I could expand on those four uh, descriptives, but uh, I will wait until next February, next year February, we're going to have Missions Month, and uh, during the Missions Month, you will get to hear more about uh, how we will be uh, planning to, Lord willing, partner with Compassion. It's a great ministry, and um, I would not want to spend this morning's hour to talk about it too much. Uh, That's just a small uh, set of pictures, uh, our team with one of the churches that we visited, lots of children uh, with lots of brokenness in their families, but churches are doing amazing work uh, in, in many of the regions that uh, Compassion um, works together. 
And that little boy in the picture with the Bible, first time receiving a Bible, his own Bible, uh, a cute boy that I got to connect uh, and play with. And uh, so many stories that God humbled me and broke me, and um, yeah, in due time, we'll share more. Um, so let me just jump right into our message this morning. We are going through a sermon series on 1 Corinthians entitled, We Are Church. Uh, it's been almost three months now. Paul, the pastor, wrote this letter to this church in Corinth, um, full of gifts, uh, full of activities, uh, full, of, full of many things happening in that church, uh, but they were in need of instruction and discipleship, um, correction, rebuke, training, so that the church may be beautified to be strengthened and to be equipped to truly glorify God and to be a church that is healthy and thriving for the gospel ministry. From chapters 12 to 14, uh, the topic that Paul deals with is spiritual gift. Pastor Jason preached uh, on that topic last week. Uh, The reason we read from chapter 12 or end of chapter 12 was, and then into chapter 14 is for you to get the, the context because a lot of you have heard a uh, message, or at least read, or heard somewhere, or maybe it's in your refrigerator, a magnet, uh, the chapter 13 about love, love is patient, kind, um, good words, very poetic. Um, but that chapter is set in the context of uh, Paul writing about spiritual gift that is to be used to build up the body of Christ. Paul begins by saying in verse 27, you are the body of Christ, meaning Jesus died for you, rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, gave the Holy Spirit to Christians and gathered followers of Jesus to form a church which is a body of Christ, meaning we are extension of Christ on earth now. Christ died He's not ascended to heaven, but we are the living proof as a church to testify who Jesus is and what he came to do. So that's why a lot of missionaries, whenever they go to um, places like Peru, they would build churches, but not only church, to proclaim the gospel, but just as Jesus healed, missionaries will build hospitals. Missionaries will build schools because Jesus also taught. So preaching, teaching, healing ministry that Jesus did. Church and churches have been doing that. So we as a church is a body of Christ. Extension of the living Christ on earth now. And each of us are members of the body. So in one sense, when we say we are church, you as a singular you is not church. Let me be clear. We are church, but not you singular. You need me, I need you, you need each other, we need each other. And Paul is saying, we are members of this body of Christ, the church, and God has appointed by his sovereign grace and wisdom some people to be an apostle, some people to be prophets, some people to be healers, some people to be teachers, Some people to have the gift of leadership and admin. 
Some, pe some people to speak in tongues, some people to have the gift of inter interpretation, which he deals a lot more in chapter 14. We need each other, and we are to serve the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ, so that the kingdom of God will come through the church into this world. Again, chapter 13 follows in the hill of this chapter about spiritual gift in chapter 12 and chapter 14, which again, Paul continues to talk about spiritual gift. Uh, if you read chapter 13, which is so-called the love chapter of the Bible, it's not a sentimental, noble, poetic po uh, uh, letter or chapter. If you look at the overall context of the whole letter, it's not sentimental at all. It actually is shocking and even detrimental. It's more like a, a dynamite, a bombshell Paul is dropping into this church because the church was highly gifted. I mean, if you remember in the first chapter how Paul praise and thanks God for the church that was so gifted with lots of knowledge and spiritual gifts. But then it was quite messy because there were divisions and factions and sexual immorality and people suing each other. Um, and the spiritual gifts they were using wasn't really to build up other people, but they were using them to show off, to feel better about themselves. And Paul had to not only talk about spiritual gifts, but how to use the spiritual gifts. Again, Paul is not against spiritual gift. We see here at the end of chapter 12, earnestly desire the higher gifts. And Paul would expand on that in chapter 14. So we're not going to get to that. Later, in chapter 14, 1, he comes back and says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. But then, he also says, after saying, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, and it's great that we're going to talk, uh, we had the spiritual gift survey, the test, several weeks ago, and today we get to, uh, after the service, find out about how you can use your gift to serve in different ministries. It's great, but Paul wants to pause and I think it's very timely that we are, we're talking about this today. As you will be signing up to serve in different ministries, and you hope, he wants us to pause and think about, okay, you're gifted it in, in a very unique way, praise God, and you will use that, but make sure that you use it in a way that is glorifying to God and that will truly benefit other people. And he uses the word, I will show you a still more excellent way. And later he says, pursue love. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, okay, okay. I'm not really gifted in that. Okay. Whoa, can you? Okay. There we go. Literally, in Greek, it's exceeding, the more excellent way, literally translated, is exceedingly uber eminent. Like, Paul is saying, you know what, I love you so much, and I know that you are very much gifted, and all of you are. 
we as a church, we have highly gifted people. And it's great to see Michelle on stage with praise team and new members getting involved. It's great. I love it. Praise God. But he's saying make sure. And I want, and Paul is saying, I want to make sure that the church, the body of Christ, really does glorify God by the way you serve. Not what you do, but how you serve. And I want the church of Christ to be so beautiful, so glorious, exceedingly uber, excellent, eminent, because that's what Christ is. That's who Christ is. And so the question is, how do we, again, Paul says pursue love. How do we pursue love? How do we we be a church? How do you become a Christian, a member of a body of Christ? Okay, sorry. Uh, Yeah. A Christ um, who is exceedingly uber eminent as a member and us as a church. And from the passage, we learn that we pursue love by acknowledging that without love, we are nothing. We are nothing. First, we have to acknowledge that. Second, we have to embody the character of Christ. And Paul actually points us, thirdly, for us to have that character of Christ, we must behold the glory of Jesus Christ. So let me go one by one. First, acknowledge that, quote-unquote, that's the language he uses, I am nothing without love. So verse 1, chapter 13, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. For those of you who uh, may know or not know, the, the ba- historical background of the church, and you can kind of find out by reading the whole letter, the church, again, was very gifted, especially they were able to pray in tongues. How many of you pray in tongues? I'm just curious. Okay. We don't really practice at New Hope. Some churches even restrict pray in tongue. I personally, I believe I, I received the gift of speaking or praying in tongue when I was in university. It's part of spiritual gift, and I'm not a cessationist, just to be open. Uh, we as a church, we as a denomination, don't really talk about it. I was at one, at one time, I was at a, at a prayer meeting for this missions team back in Virginia when I was in university. That's like, yeah, over 20 years ago. I went to help out with praise. Back then, I was actually leading praise. You're like, what? Okay, anyways. Um, I remember uh, this intercessory team would be praying for every single missions team member, and they were praying in tongues, and they were actually members, two of them, who were able to interpret the tongues. So they're like praying, and I don't understand, no one understands, right? And then, one, by, one sentence by one sen- sentence, this person who is gifted in interpretation, and Paul talks about in chapter 14, at church, prophesy, like speak words that people can understand, but when you speak in tongue, make sure that you have an interpreter. It was like, first time for me to experience, wow, I mean, this stuff is real. There's speaking in tongue, and there's interpretation of tongue, and it was very edifying. 
Very edifying. The church, Corinthian church, there were people who had the gift of prophecy and speaking in tongue and, and interpretation of tongue. Um, it's, 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 it's a kind of gift in again, some denominations. Um, I, like if you have the Holy Spirit, you have to speak in tongues. So I, I, I remember I, before I went to uh, Israel for... Uh, with a team in a, a church in, now this is a church in Van- Vancouver, this young pastor um, was Pentecostal background, and he believed that if you truly want to be a spiritual person, you have to speak in tongue. So we had about 12 people in the group. Six of them were able to speak in tongue. Six of them weren't able to speak in tongue. And so the six without the gift of speaking in tongue he would, he would say, okay, repeat after me, la, 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 and then they would have to do la, 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 and that's, and then he would try to force this person or people who didn't have the gift to speak in tongue, and I remember by the end of the trip, and he would do that even in Israel, when we were in Israel, it didn't come, it didn't come, and it shows how It's not the pastor who gives the gift. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God himself. He would apportion different set of gifts to build up the body of Christ. I mean, this uh, old um, pastor who was part of the team um, was a a woman of character, full of love. Uh, She she was gifted in other areas. Uh, The pastor didn't have to force her to receive it. She she ended up not receiving the gift of tongue. You cannot force uh, a gift, spiritual gift, onto someone. Anyhow, so again, the church was very gifted, and and it was considered to be one of the highest set of gifts. If you have the, uh, the gift of speaking in tongue, you are a spiritual person. That kind of defines the spiritual achievement so they would, they would say, oh, spiritual, if you're spiritual, you'll be speaking in tongue. If you're not, then, then you're not that spiritual. And basically, Paul is saying, you may be eloquent in human language, or you may be even able to speak in angelic language. And you may think that's the most beautiful thing. But if you don't have love, you're just a noise, a clanging symbol monotonous, boring, and even annoying. You're a barking dog. Imagine me standing here today, clanging that symbol for 30 minutes. Would that be edifying? Would, would you be like, oh, I was helped by Pastor Charles's message today? No, you'd be saying, he is annoying. And Paul is saying, you know what? You may have the highest, the deepest, the greatest spirituality, quote-unquote, but if you don't have love, you're just a noise. Not only that, you're, you're annoying. And then he says, if I have prophetic powers, by prophetic powers, he means understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Again, they had it. And if I have all faith so as to remove the mountains. Now, you can interpret in different ways, but one way is 
All faith as to remove the mountains is a leadership gift. Moving people who wouldn't otherwise move to a certain direction or vision, you have the, the articulation of the vision to move the church. And they had some good leaders at, at Corinth. And he's saying, you know what? If you don't have love, as much as you're so gifted with these prominent gifts of prophecy and you know the mysteries, you, have the, you, you, you can fathom the depth of God's heart or, or truth and you're very knowledgeable and you're a great leader, people follow you, you can even work miracles, but if you don't have love, you're, you're nothing. The gift is worthless, it's useless. When we come to, and Paul is not alone here, when we come to Matthew's gospel and Jesus is teaching, it's, again, disciples, about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus, he says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I thought if I confess Jesus is Lord, I'm, I'm saved. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So it's one thing to say whatever you say with your lips, and you may be really good at it, another to actually do it. As you will see later, love is not feeling or thinking, it's about doing. The one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And then he says this, on that day, when you stand before Jesus, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Again, Lord, Lord, repetition, that's an emphatic. Like, I'm religious. I went to church. I served in the Bible camp. I went to even missions. I was a pastor. Did we not prophesy in your name? Preach, teach, Sunday school? Cast out demons? I mean, that's pretty spiritual. Cast out demons in your name? And it's not just in any name, in Jesus' name. And do many mighty works in your name? I mean, if, if by our standard, if someone is a good preacher, if someone is able to cast out demons in the name of Jesus, if someone is doing mighty works in the name of Jesus, wouldn't you agree with me that that person is not only spiritual, he's a, he's a solid Christian? And then Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Boom. It's a bombshell. It's not about being religious. It's not about being spiritually gifted. It's not about achieving some kind of a spirituality. Jesus looks right through the veneers of our activities and later you will see even our sacrifice. Oh my goodness. If I give away all I have, like, okay, I'm gonna, I went to Peru and like, these people are living below the subsistence level. And you would wanna help them. And you would give all you have, literally. And even if I deliver, deliver up my body to be burned. 
It could mean like, okay, I, I love, like, I want to express my commitment to Christ by committing martyrdom. Like, I'm willing to die for my faith. That's pretty impressive. Sacrifice, service. I give my time and talents and tithes, time, tithes, and talent. Yeah, everything you have. But if you don't have love, I gain nothing. I mean, this is, this, 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 again, if you really knew the context, and even now, some of you may be feeling like, hmm, I don't know, then what is love? I thought, like, if I'm, like, giving all, all I have, if I'm delivering up my body to be burnt for the sake of Christ and for other people, I thought, that's, that's love, sacrifice. But did you know that you may be sacrificing without love? You may be sacrificing for your family, for your church, for whatever cause, without love. It's possible. Spurgeon um, gives an illustration to help us to understand this. There once was a gardener who grew vegetables in a small farm. One day he reaped this huge, beautiful carrot. And he's like, I love the king. He, he's a great king and I want to honor him and pay my tribute to to my king. So he goes to the king and says, my king, I want to honor you by giving you this precious carrot as my tribute to you. The king saw the carrot, but saw through the carrot the heart of the farmer, and he was impressed. And the king said, thank you. You know what, I have this huge piece of land close to your farm, and I don't need it. No one's really using it. I want to give it to you. And the farmer didn't expect that, and, and he said, thank you, thank you. And then he left, and in the court was a nobleman who overheard what just happened. He had a smart man. He thought to himself, hmm, for one carrot, he got a huge real estate. My goodness. Okay. So he, he went to his barn and brought a beautiful stallion, a horse, and brought to the king. My king, long live the king. Here is my horse. To honor you as my king and to pay my tribute to you. The king looked at him and said, thank you. But that was it. He didn't say anything. So the nobleman was expecting him to say, oh, thank you, beautiful horse. I'll give you something much greater than a piece of land was what the nobleman was imagining and hoping to get. The nobleman was puzzled. The king did not say anything. He waited for the 
king to say something. And so he kind of stuck around, and, and then he asked the king, Oh, Lord, my king, why, why are you treating me with unfairness? You gave this farmer who gave you a little piece of carrot, and you gave him a huge piece of land, but you have given me nothing in return to my beautiful horse. And the king replied, the gardener gave me his carrot. You gave yourself a horse. Do you get that? The gardener gave me his beautiful carrot, but you gave yourself a horse. The ulterior motive, the motivation, the true motivation of the nobleman was not to honor the king, but to feel better about himself and to get more stuff for himself. It's pretty revealing. We can do so many things for God in the name of Jesus, and we say to glorify God even. I could be serving at a life group or missions, or I could even sponsor not just one child, but hundreds of children through compassion, but I may be doing not for the sake of God or sake of other people, but for my sake. And God looks at the heart. And the question is, are you serving others for the sake of others or for yourself? I mean, it's, again, we may be serving for myself. I may be preaching for myself to feel better about myself. I enjoy people coming up to me after I preach, thank you. Or after you host a meeting in your place and just, you know, people say thank you. I mean, thank you is good. I think we should encourage one another. But if that's what drives you, you're missing out. You're in a dangerous place. Everything minus love is nothing. Spirituality, spiritual gifts, even sacrificial service minus love is zero. You you could have many, 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 many zeros. Fill the whole page of your life with zeros, activities, and even sacrifice. And it amounts to literally zero, nothing. Millions of zeros amounts to nothing. You can do, 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 and be nothing. For, for those of us who are spiritually gifted and using our gifts to serve, we cannot assume, I cannot assume, I have to check my heart, you need to check my heart this morning, just because you're serving and people actually do recognize you serving sacrificially and even not only appreciate you but applaud you, it doesn't mean that you are having the right heart or serving with the right heart or you're loving because love is deeper than that. And for those of us who, who seek to have spiritual gifts 
of some sort, Paul encourages us to pursue or uh, desire with earnestness. But what we are to pursue the most is not charisma, but character, the deep love. It's interesting how in this uh, passage, as I was reflecting on this passage this week, Paul does not say you or even we. Before this passage, chapter 12, and, chap- and after this passage, chapter 14, Paul uses you and we a lot. It's pretty conspicuous that Paul uses the language of I. So this morning, you are not to be finger-pointing at your spouse. You see, I mean, you're going to come to that love passage, the description of love. See, my husband, my wife is not loving. That's why we have the problem. You see, you see this, the members have the problem. Like, this guy in my life group or this guy in my ministry team, see, that, that guy's not, doesn't, you know, doesn't have that. No, no, no. Paul is saying, you know what? Look at yourself. I'm, I'm looking at myself. It's not about judging one another that you don't have love. It's about self-reflection. Do I have it? Even if I have all the spirituality, gifts, sacrifice, I amount to nothing. And so you're questioning, okay, then if it's, so how do I, how do I what does it mean to love, right? If love isn't all that, even sacrifice or apparent sacrifice, what does it mean to pursue love? And that brings me to the second point. And just to, uh, just to comfort you, you know, my first point is usually the longest. My second point is the second longest. And third point today, especially very short. So we should be done within 10 minutes. Yeah. I mean, whenever I prepare to preach, I do, I do tend to over-prepare. And I have, I, have, I have some issue. I need to get some counseling. I know that. I acknowledge that. Uh, but it's my way of helping you. And hopefully it is helpful. Okay, so the second point besides how do we pursue love by acknowledging that I'm nothing without love is to embody the character of Christ. And he, Paul lists a um, number of different characteristics. So he goes first by saying love is patient and kind. Uh, and they go together. Those are the first two positives. Um, patient literally means long-suffering, suffer long, willing to suffer for the other, not just once, but for a long time. Again, you will we'll kind of land at the end how it really is the, uh, the embodiment of Christ and reflection of God's own character. Love is patient, love is long-suffering, and kind. It's the flip side of being long, uh, long-suffering. Readiness to do good, to help, to relieve burdens, to be useful, to serve, and to be tender as you are doing that, and to be sympathetic to others. And I, I can think of um, uh, our members who have that character, and I, I praise God for that, and I want to grow in that myself. And then he comes with the eight knots. Love is not envious, or it does not envy. It does not boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. Literally, it means it does not keep the record of wrongs. It does not keep, um, you know, you did this to me, 
I'm going to pay you back. I mean, it's, a lot of marriages fail or are not able to work well together because when, whenever we get into fight, we bring in not just what happened last week, but what happened like 15 years ago or 20 years ago, even going back to 50 years ago, right? And Paul says, you know what, if you truly love, you forget. Just as Christ has forgotten about your wrongdoing, just as Christ forgives and doesn't keep, keep bitterness. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Forgiving just doesn't mean condoning sin. You cannot, if you truly love someone, let go of this person living in sin. You have to confront sin. Right? You cannot rejoice in sin or wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And then Paul says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Up to here, some of you may be think, saying, okay, I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Some of you may be feeling like, oh, I'm, I don't have love. I'm convicted. I didn't do this well or that well. When we come to this verse, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, now it kind of turns the table a bit. It's, it's, it's not just almost impossible, it's impossible. Bears, I mean, all things? All things? All things? How is it possible? These are the characteristics of Christ, ultimately. Christ who sacrificed himself for his, not just other people, but his enemies. Do you know that in the original language, it is interesting, and the English cannot really bear that or show that. All of those adjectives, even patient or kind, every descriptive is not adjective, but it's verb, and it's in present tense form. It means that's the reality of someone it's, Paul is personifying love, and he's pointing to Jesus. That's why the second point is about embodying not the gift of Jesus, but the character of Jesus. And when these lists of characteristics are applied to us as followers of Jesus, it's, ref, it's showing, it's telling that it's a character that is transformed Inside out, as we sang the song this morning, inside out by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. It's an inner character, not just a behavior or a set of gifts or you're born with a certain type of good personality. It's not about trying harder here, but it's about being graced by the love of God. In one sense, it's convicting, in another sense, it's very comforting because we come to realize how we fail in these areas. And some of you are doing better. We're growing in those aspects of love. But when we use that passage as a mirror to, well, let me apply to myself, my soul, I fail miserably. I mean, I was thinking, like, I'm helping compassion kids in Peru. 
how am I serving and respecting and honoring my parents, my children, and caring for my own children and my own wife to begin with, and then my church? Oh my goodness, I, I fail miserably in many, many ways. So Paul is doing something as though he's cornering the Corinthians. It's not the morality. It's not the giftedness. It's a complete different category. It's a gospel-transformed heart and character. So Paul is not saying, if you want to be loving, be like this. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is actually showing. That's why he uses the language of, let me show you the exceedingly uber-eminent way, and Jesus is the way, right? The person who embodies this. Something must happen in your heart, in my heart, for us to be that, to grow in that. And that something is the love of God in Jesus Christ coming upon you as a power through the Spirit to change us inside out, which brings me to the last point, the shortest point, and that is to see Jesus, the perfect love. Again, Paul says, I will show you the exceedingly uber eminence, the excellent way. In 2 Corinthians, we all, with unveiled face, Beholding the glory of the Lord, when we behold the love himself in worship, and as we sing, somehow by God's grace and the Spirit is working, cause us to repent and to be convicted. But then not only that, he, he pours out his love into our hearts through the Spirit as we are beholding the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ, to be transformed inside out into the same image who embodies 1 Corinthians 13 from one degree of glory to the next. That's why we can read this as Jesus is patient and kind. He suffered long for you and me. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. He's for you. He does not insist on his own way. Jesus is not, does not keep record of real wrongs or is never resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but he rejoices with the truth. It is Jesus who bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all all things. It's more than trying harder. We're not, we're not talking about religion here anymore. We're talking about a supernatural work of God's grace in your heart, in my heart, in the church of Jesus Christ. That's why we are solely dependent on the grace of God. That's why Paul, in the beginning of the letter, as he's thanking God for the great gifts, many, many gifts and knowledge that the church has, he's thanking ultimately for the grace of God and the faithfulness of God who still loves a broken people like me and you. Let me end with a story. One of the highlights of my Compassion Vision trip this week was meeting graduates of 
the Compassion's ministry. In the picture, you're seeing Melina. Uh, she lives in Piura, which is north of Peru. I met her on the second day of our trip. Before meeting her, we we're just visiting churches and you know, meeting children, playing with children, and hearing about church's ministry for the children. On that day, when I met her, I got to hear about her story, about the love that changed her inside out and people around her. And I got a permission to share her story. She's now 25, studying business administration, almost done, and she's also serving at this church where she grew up receiving uh, the support and the sponsorship of Compassion. I mean, as you can see, I mean, she's a, she looks bright and she, she exudes smile and, and humility and humble confidence and deep joy. But that was not the way she was when, when she was young. She, she grew up in a very, very dysfunctional, very broken family, growing up asking, why am I on earth? Why, why did God allow me to be even born into this, this bad reality, this ugly, dark reality? Um, she started the Compassion Ministry when she was eight, and her sponsor, who is from Texas, started um, sending her a letter as uh, the sponsor she began. And the sponsor would write a letter saying um, how God has a purpose for her life. And it's, it's interesting, the letter's not sent like every, every week or every month, but whenever the letter was sent, and the timing is, 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 is mysterious too, um, that's something that she needed to hear, just to be affirmed why she's living, how Christ died for her and, and loves her and, and gives her new life and purpose. So the letters that accumulated months by months and year by year were signs of God's love for Melina. And, and that sustained her and gave her hope throughout the dark seasons of her life. Every birthday, the sponsor lady would write a birthday card to bless her and to encourage her. She has kept all those letters. What's amazing is even after turning, uh, her turning 22, because usually the sponsorship ends. It begins at around age three, and then it ends when um, um, the, the, uh, the sponsored child turns 22. But the sponsor did not stop writing the letter, but will remember to write a birthday card. And, um, and she would be strengthened by the letter and the love that she received. And she, she calls her sponsor her second mother. And now she's at a place where she wants to sponsor uh, children uh, as she has received. Now she wants to share that. And it's a beautiful story of how uh, a person, a member of a body of Christ, loving a person who is far, far away. And that's a power of love, right? It moves hearts uh, of people. It, it shapes and sanctifies and strengthens a person who is so broken. And um, I was thinking, uh, first of all, I need to start writing letters to my families and <laughs> my sponsored children. But to apply that in our church context, what a, what a beautiful church it would be. And I'm not talking about just my own life, but us as a church, ones who 
gather to pursue love together, loving one another, and out of an abundance of the love of Christ, we are serving one another, and out of an overflow of serving one another, we are spilling that love over into the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that letter reflects, again, the letter from Christ, Christ himself, how he gave up his life for her and for me. May we be that kind of church who experience that love and exude that love as we pursue the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.